This is a GRDC podcast. Pre-emergent herbicide applications at seeding, what to apply, how, and what chemicals really don't get along well together in the spray tank. There is a lot to know as growers approach the 2023 season. Hello there, I'm Prue Adams. Across the southern region, the mild and wet season last year means there's a mighty bank of weed seeds just waiting to rear their ugly heads. And while there's a range of options for pre-emergent herbicide applications, you really need to know your devil, as Southern Extension Officer with WeedSmart, Chris Davey, likes to say. I spoke with the York Peninsula Agri-Services agronomist to get some tips on using pre-emergent herbicides. With the high rainfall recorded over the southern region, particularly in the back half of 2022, there were a lot of weed issues through the area. And I would probably class them into three main problems. There was a lot of resistance to commonly used herbicides post-emergent. So there was a lot of weeds that got through that application due to resistance. There was a lot of late germinating weeds that came up and had secondary or tertiary weed germinations late in the spring. And then just a lot of common weeds like milk thistle or sow thistle and prickly lettuce that were just at such high populations that they had even further blowouts in paddocks like lentils during the year. So we've had a few dry weeks in the southern region. Um, What are you currently seeing in paddocks in this particular space, in this particular region? Across my southern region, which covers SA and Victoria, there are parts that I haven't been across in the last month or two, but it's generally dry across the southern region. There's a bit of topsoil moisture in the southeast from recent rainfall activity, and areas like the Mallee regions of SA and Victoria and also Upper Air Peninsula in SA have got some carryover moisture at depth from last year. Other key cropping areas of Lower Air Peninsula, YP, the Mid-North and then through the Wimmera region are generally quite dry. So if we get some rain in the next few weeks or months and you know let's hope we do, then what would you expect to see in terms of emerging weeds? Look, if the region had a good autumn rain in the next month or so, a lot of what we term the autumn weeds would germinate. Generally, the surface germinating ones like milk thistle, marshmallow, barley grass, but we'd also see further medic, brown grass and capeweed in paddocks. From a grower's perspective, it'd be great for this to happen as it will allow really good knockdown control of the problematic weeds before they sow. And a lot of that region hasn't had this opportunity in recent years, which places a heavy reliance on post-em or in-crop herbicides for control. Uh, And that's where we've seen some of the resistance issues really emerge without that knockdown pass before seeding. Yeah, and we'll get a little bit more into pre-emergent herbicides and knockdowns in a little while. You just mentioned resistance there. What are some of the resistance issues that growers will be facing in this season? I guess the predominant one, Prue, is going to be glyphosate-resistant annual ryegrass as the key target weed species in the lead-up to seeding. We haven't really seen a germination of ryegrass across the southern region yet, just due to the lack of rainfall. But what we did see after the January rains last year in 22 was 
this resistance is really widespread across southern Victoria and it became more evident on the Eyre and York Peninsulas of SA after their big rain at the end of January last year. So double knock principles should be adopted with the strategic use of paraquats and or group 14 spikes like Terador and Sharpen. There are other glyphosate-resistant weed problems out there also, like milk thistle, for instance, but there's more options to control them than what there are with ryegrass. So ryegrass has a lot more resistance to a wider range of chemical mode of action groups. And generally speaking, again, we rely heavily on our pre-emergence to do the job there. So the better we can do our job in the knockdown phase before seeding, it's just going to take a lot of pressure off those pre-ems. Glyphosate-resistant ryegrass is obviously a perennial problem. You've got the advantage of having some years in this space and being able to watch it over the seasons. Is it worse this year? Is it worse than you've seen it before or is it on par? From 2017 to 2021, we had quite a run of dry years and I think glyphosate-resistant ryegrass was bubbling away in the backgrounds, but we never actually saw it as too big a problem just due to the lack of rain and lack of germinations. But that big rain that we had last year generally brought up a lot of ryegrass in the autumn period, which is quite unusual for the southern region. And as glyphosate makes up a lot of the summer weed mixes, we saw a lot of ryegrass actually escaping that mix. And so the problem has really been brought to the surface as such by that rainfall event and made growers in the southern region a lot more aware of the problem because it was quite visual when you've got green ryegrass plants after spraying in your paddock. For the southern Victorian growers, the problem's been there for a number of years and it's probably some of the widest resistance to glyphosate in ryegrass in Australia through that region. So they have been early adopters of the paraquat, paraquat, double knock, just trying to take the pressure off the glyphosate and give it a break for a while. You've touched on it, you know, in quite a bit of detail there in terms of prevention of resistance spreading, but if you could put it into, you know, a potted version for growers, what should they be doing in terms of trying to get around that resistance? So I'll talk collectively about resistant weeds and I guess the management of them or for any weed for that matter relies on the adoption of an integrated or holistic management program. So we're talking a little bit about the knockdowns and later on about the pre-emergence but it starts by the planning of the rotation and includes everything from sowing clean seed that's weed free, utilising crop competition the choice of herbicides that actually work and stopping the seed setting seed later on. And we finish with capturing the weed seed that remains at harvest with the header. So there's a lot of weed smart big six principles there that can be adopted by growers to just reduce the amount of resistant weed seed that gets set each year and therefore hopefully start getting on top of the problem. There's other parts of that as well, Prue, that include like spray technology, and that is being able to optimise the amount of active ingredient from the herbicide that actually reaches the target, which in this case is the weed, or for pre-emergence, it can be the soil. So things like droplet size, speed, water volume, pressure and weather conditions all play a part in achieving this. 
And finally, ensuring that there's no antagonism occurring in the spray tank between the products. So products may be physically compatible in that they go into the tank, no problems, and they don't form a sludge or a gum or a paste or anything that is typical of two products that don't like each other in the spray tank. But they may be also biologically compatible. So when I say this, if they're not biologically compatible, two products may reduce the efficacy of a certain product by reducing the amount that actually gets into the plant. And a great example of this is glyphosate and products like the triazines and propizamides. If we inadvertently are applying less glyphosate to the weeds because the antagonistic products are not allowing the glyphosate to get in the plant, then we're possibly speeding up the resistance process at the same time. What other things would growers have to keep in mind when deciding what pre-emergent herbicides they should use in this coming season? I've presented on this topic in both Adelaide and Bendigo at the GRDC conferences and my first comment to that is we need to actually step back before we go forward. So when I refer to that, it's more about knowing the resistance status of the targeted weeds that you're targeting with the pre-EMs and do you have an integrated plan to manage the weeds and we touched on that in that last session there about the weed smart big six the choice of herbicides probably the last thing to consider and the classic example is if old chemistry like trifluralin or triolate which is avidex if they're still working in the paddock on problem weeds like ryegrass then there may not be a need to go to the newer chemistries in the pre-emergent section. So when we finally work out what the best product is to control the targeted weeds, then we can assess other risks. And these include soil type, product rate, and probably one that's been important the last two seasons, Prue, has been the forecast rain after the application. So after seeding and how that can influence the movement of pre-emergent herbicides down into the crop zone. And are there any risks with using the pre-emergent herbicides in different soil types? Yeah, and that's a really topical question. Most of the newer pre-emergents are more soluble and maybe even mobile than the older type chemicals. So we're all probably aware in the industry from growers and agronomists alike that the older chemicals like trifluralin and triolate that we just mentioned are quite immobile. They'll tie up readily on soil and organic matter. So they don't tend to go too far from where they're actually applied. Whereas a lot of these new ones that have been released are a lot more soluble. And what that means is that they dissolve in the soil water more rapidly and may not be tied up in the soil by the soil itself and the organic matter. So soil types like sands and even grey loams, which over here are quite calcareous and alkaline, can be more prone to crop effects from the herbicides due to their soil characteristics. So in layman's terms, the soil's inability to slow the movement of these herbicides through the soil means that the active ingredient may end up in the growing zone of the newly sown crop, and that can lead to crop effects, whether it be visual signs like a bleaching of the crop or other density or thinning out of the crop and just a poor stunted population that comes through. That's really interesting. I would imagine a lot of growers wouldn't know a lot of that. It's definitely been a topic that the industry as a whole has been trying to promote, that there is a lot more thinking about it because the newer chemistries we have available to us now, they just work in the soil a lot differently to the ones that we were used to 10 to 20 years ago. 
So managing knockdown weeds while applying a pre-emergent herbicide, anything growers should know about that? Yeah, I guess we touched on a few things earlier in the podcast. One-pass applications can be done by the grower and are commonly done all around Australia, particularly when two jobs need to be done at the same time. So in this case, prove like a knockdown for existing weeds that are currently there and the pre-emergent application prior to the crop being sown. Glypho or glyphosate and paraquat are the two most common knockdown herbicides used for weeds present at the time of sowing. Others do exist like glyphosinate and the group 14 herbicide spikes. But the biggest considerations here are the more products you add to your spray tank, the greater the chance of antagonism. And that is referring to the physical antagonism that we talked about before. We need to assess the formulation types. There are some formulations of glyphosate that are not compatible with the newer pre-em herbicides and similar for paraquat. If you add into the tank some of the SC formulation products or granules and similar things, you just need to take your time to ensure that they individually dissolve in the spray tank before adding the next one. So it is a key message that when there could be four, five, six, even seven products added to the tank for one pass, that we do need to just take a bit more time to make sure that everything is being dissolved before the next one gets added in because as agronomists and growers alike we're quite time poor and like to do things quickly and sometimes in this instance the quicker we do them the more problems that we end up having. Also need to consider the mode of action of the knockdown herbicides. Glyphosate is translocated and paraquat is contact so they've got two extreme modes of action and the size of the target weed is also important so trying to control for example a two-leaf ryegrass is very different to a bread plate size cape weed for instance. So uh, we're about to finish up but any more pearls of wisdom that you can offer as we go into season 2023? I think we've touched on most of them, Prue. Like, I still encourage growers to know the resistant status of problem weeds. And we keep on harping about ryegrass, but things like wild radish, Indian hedge, mustard, milk thistle, brome grass, there are a lot of other weeds that do have resistance to different mode of action groups. So, knowing the devil as I call it, then that just allows you to plan better with herbicides that are going to work on those resistant weeds. And also, like from a weed smart perspective, incorporating all those big six principles are really important because it's not all about herbicides. And there are other things that we can do that don't involve herbicides that can reduce the reliance on chemicals and also improve the crop yield just by reducing the competitiveness of the weeds as well. I think it's been a really good overview on knockdowns and pre-emergence. There is a lot more involved than what previously has been, but we're learning all the time. And yeah, podcasts like this are really helpful to extend that information across the industry. Some great advice there on pre-emergent herbicide use at seeding. Many thanks to Chris Davey, Southern Extension Officer with WeedSmart. This is a GRDC podcast. I'm Prue Adams. Thanks for listening. Listener.